Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. Uh, we're talking about uh, uncommon love, uh, and uh, I want to show you this passage, Matthew 5. It's an expectation of our God for us. Matthew 5, verse 43. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Uh, pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends the rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you, all, if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Uh, even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. And then let's move quickly to Matthew 5, verse 43. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It's good that we pause here just for a moment because most, most of us, when we've read this passage, skip right over this uh, verse. We... Uh, Matter of fact, it kind of catches you off guard because it's just the opposite of what Jesus is asking us to do. To to love your neighbor and do what? Hate your enemy. What was this? Uh, Jesus is saying, you've heard this said. Now, if you look all through Scripture, uh, you look at uh, the biblical law, the law of the prophets, uh, all through, uh, you know, God's approved, uh, you know, law. You don't see this as a law. You don't see this at all. But you do see this in manuscripts of people uh, called the, the Manual of Discipline, which was a, 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 a manual f- uh, for procedures of how to operate, how to behave in the context of a very unique Jewish sect. So a group of people who had pulled themselves away from the world to live in community. And these were their written instructions. Their written instructions were to only love their own. It's a misinterpretation of Leviticus 19, verses 17 through 18, which I'll throw this up for you quickly. This is what Leviticus 19 says. Do not nurse hatred in your heart for any of your relatives. Confront people directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Verse 18, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So they would have interpreted this passage in such a way that we need to behave properly to everyone who's a part of our community. But outside of our community, we don't behave that way towards them. So love your community, hate your enemies. Uh, This was uh, an interpretation now, translation, sorry, of the Manual of Discipline. This is what it says. The community rule begins by saying that members of the community uh, should be taught to seek God and obey Moses and the prophets so that, and this was a translation, they may love the sons of light, each according to his lot in God's design, and hate all the sons of darkness, each according to his guilt in God's vengeance. So basically, their interpretation of Leviticus was that we just uh, sacrif- we, we are sacrificially loving to our community, and so defined by us. We define who our community is, and we love in this way, but people outside of our community, we hate. And this is what Jesus is referring to, is this misinterpretation of Leviticus 19. He's saying, 
that to, to love our neighbor and hate your enemy is what was common. This was the, the rule of the day in Jesus' day. It sounds a lot like our society, though, doesn't it? <laughs> this way of approaching uh, life is very common even today. Let me see if this resonates with you. You decide who your community is, and you have that person's back, but no one else. And we define our community, right? Men, men, we sort of have, you know, men, we got your, each other's back. That's it's our community, and we very often are very protective of that community of men. Women, you're the same way. Women, uh, you know who you are, and you protect. And there's, there's so much... Uh, written and done and so much of a fight for women and for men. So gender, gender battles. Uh, and we take care of our own. Uh, children. Uh, children, unfortunately, uh, relate to each other, but uh, they can't defend themselves. It's, it's others who actually advocate for that community of children. Maybe it's a generational community. You know, uh, I'm 60 now, and maybe, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I try to find other people who are my age. Actually, I don't, but uh, <laughs> I spend most of my time with people much younger than I, do, I am. But that community of the aged, <laughs> the geriatric community that I'm part of now. But we have each other's back, and we have a lot in common, and we, we take care of each other in that, in that community. Maybe it's an issue of race. Uh, maybe you realize, okay, we're, we're all of this color of skin, so we got to stick together. This is... This is our community. Everyone else, we disenfranchise. Everyone else, we disconnect from. Maybe it's a language issue for you. Oh, gosh, he speaks this language. I do too. Great. This is my community. Maybe it's a religion issue. You know, possibly you're connected to some denomination that you relate to. And this is your community. Maybe it's a socioeconomic class. Possibly, okay, I like to associate with people who make average amounts of money. That's my community. Right? Uh, whatever it is, or uh, the poor, the rich, the middle class, but you relate uh, in that community and you identify. And you advocate for those in that community and do not advocate for those outside of that community. Maybe it's a sport issue. Maybe you're, you have a hockey community. Maybe you have a football community. Maybe you have a baseball community. Maybe you have a cycling community. But there's this affinity you have with those people, and that forms your community. Maybe it's a political affiliation, right? Maybe you're a Republican or a Democrat. Not if you're a Namibian. <laughs> but we affiliate, right? And we, we advocate for our people and not for those outside. Maybe for you, it's just a simple issue of blood. Blood family. Who's my clan? I take care of my clan. I don't take care of anyone outside of it. I advocate. What's normal for us? What's normal is that we hate our enemy. That's what's normal. That's what we see all around us. With many, hating your enemy is a cultural pastime. A virtue, if you will. In some families, it's considered disrespectful, dishonoring to our ancestors if we don't hate and get revenge on their enemies and the children of their enemies. Hate and revenge are expected to last from generation to generation as a sign of respect to the ancestors. This thinking is highly developed. 
and highly self-serving. For things to go well for me in this life, I need to hate and get revenge on anyone who has hurt my ancestors. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. In that regard, being a victim is powerful currency, right? And this is the world we live in. People like to stay in it. They like to live in it and dwell in it and, and nurture the hate. And by the way, this is common in every society in the world. You're not unique if this is you. If you feel like this shoe fits you, don't worry. You've got a lot of friends <laughs> just like this all over the world who are divisive. But this is what Jesus says, Matthew 5, verse 43 and following. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, do what? Love your enemies. This is different. It's uncommon. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, we'll be ad acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. What is so clear is that as followers of Christ, we are called to an uncommon love. We're called to something that's not normal. What's clear from the words of Jesus is that the manner in which we love needs to be reconsidered. Let's begin the evaluation process this morning. Let me ask you a few questions. And I'll ask these of myself too as I ask them of you. Do I love only people that are easy to love? Pause. Do I love only people who are easy to love? Think. Think about who you love. Do I love my enemies? At this point in time, you need to be identifying enemies in your mind. Identify them. Do you know who they are? Now you've identified your enemies. Now do you love them? Do I pray for others who make my life miserable? Hmm. <laughs> you may pray for them, but maybe you pray curses. Yeah, I don't know. Destroy them. How does my love compare with people who are not followers of Jesus? Am I loving any differently than people who don't follow Jesus? Or am I just like everyone who doesn't follow Jesus? Is there any difference? So do I only love and am I only loyal to the members of my community, my clan? Or do I step outside of my ethno-linguistic clan and love people who don't sound or look like me? We're told that he gives sunlight and rain to the evil and good. God is, is fair in that he... He gives sunlight and he gives rain to both evil and good. His nature is to have mercy, to save sinners. Jesus came to seek and to save sinners. Jesus was always persecuted for being with sinners. You might be wondering, though, why do bad things happen to good people? Do you ever wonder that? Why do bad things happen to good people? You also may be wondering, why do good things happen to bad people? That, that's probably where most of us park. Why do so many good things happen to bad people? And, and honestly, if you watch the, the, the rich get richer, um, while honest, hardworking people get poor, you know, a, a question naturally arises. You know, why do good things happen to bad people? And why do good things happen to bad people? Why do we live in this kind of a world? In the self-help spiritual arena, the pain is felt even more acutely. Where's karma? 
the law of cause and effect, the law of attraction. If you're a good human being, good stuff is supposed to happen to you, right? And if we're honest, <laughs> we might admit that love your enemies seems to support this upside-down world that we already live in. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer. And yet, God loves the wicked. God loves the sinner. Phew. Praise the Lord for that, right? Because he loved me. No one is good. Everyone is a bad person. The, the idea of the question, why do good things happen to bad people, implies that there are good people out there. That somehow you're good and they're bad. When the reality is, is that all of us are bad. Every one of us are bad. You might be asking yourself, why aren't the victimizers spoken to? Well, because we have victimized. All of us are victimizers, and all of us have been victims. What Jesus is, is not saying, this is what Jesus is not saying here. He's not saying your abusers are right, okay? Jesus is never saying that the people who have abused you or hurt you are correct and, and right in what they've done. Jesus is not saying here, just to, as an example, is not saying that racism is good. He's not saying that racists are innocent of wrongdoing. But picture this idea. A racist person believes that people of other skin color are their enemy. So if you've been victimized by a racist and then you hate that person, are you also, what are you then? When a racist turns to Jesus, Jesus commands them to love their enemy as well. We're all bad people. Romans 3 says this, verse 10. Romans 3, verse 10. No one is righteous. And if you'd like to say this with me, you're more than welcome to. I'll say it again here. No one is righteous, not even one. And if you feel like you're a good person, then maybe you're self-righteous. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. He goes on to say in Romans, um, in Romans 3, verse 23, he says, For how many people have sinned? Everyone. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. He blesses good and bad people. His nature is grace and forgiveness, not destruction. The nature of God is to love bad people. Praise the Lord. He loves all of us in this room to do good to those who have done bad to you. It, it's our, what is our nature? Our nature is to hate people. Our nature is to get revenge. Our nature is to be rude. And you see these examples through Scripture of people that are, are heroes in the Bible who really were frustrated with bad people and hated them. And God would steer them back to, no, 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 you need to love them, love them, because the nature of God is to love people. And God working through us in the loan of our bodies, all right, working through us. We are his ambassadors. He loves a lost world. And while our body is being buffeted, our, our bodies are being hurt for his sake, we are experiencing the presence of God in our lives who fills us with the joy, the peace, the compassion, 
that satisfies more than anything we could possibly imagine that we could gain in this world. Our bodies are on loan to him so that he can love through us. And praise the Lord, he saved us. We're bad people. This is what 2 Peter 3 says. You might think to yourself that it's taking God a long time to return or it's taking God a long time to redeem you of your difficult situation. And you question maybe God's love or what God's love looks like. But this is what he says. The Lord isn't slow to keep his promise. As some think of slowness, but he is patient toward you. Not wanting who? Anyone to perish, but all to know the change, uh, all, but all to change their hearts and lives. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a dreadful noise. The elements will be consumed by fire and the earth and all the works done on it will be exposed. God's love is uncommon. It's different. It's not normal. God wants to pull people to himself. He wants to reveal himself to them and he wants to transform them. Even the worst of sinners, even the worst of your enemies, he can transform. And he wants to use us to love, to show his love to that individual. So we love our enemies instead of hating our enemies. The nature of God is love. Look at Hosea 11. When he sees his people sinning in such a horrible, terrible way, and you would think, well, no, he should unleash his fiery anger on his people. This is, this is the heart of God. This is what he says. Hosea 11, verse 9. No, I will not unleash my fierce anger. I will not completely destroy Israel. For I am God and not a mere mortal. I am the Holy One living among you, and I will, I will not come to destroy You see here that the very nature of God is that when evil rises, his compassion outdoes it, rises higher than the evil and the hate that is in the world. And his response to evil and injustice and all those things that we can name and list is compassion and love with a plan of forgiveness and transformation for those people. Jesus came to save and he wants to move in us to be the ambassadors of that kind of love, an uncommon love. The character of God is to be broken with sadness over, over evil and, and to have a plan of transformation. This is the heart of God. The fact is, is that Jesus came to us, all of us here, all of us in the world, when we were completely, utterly helpless. We had nothing to, to, to show to God of, oh, I'm a good person, so you should save me. No, 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 no. We are all bad people. This is what he says in Romans 5, verse 6. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and did what? Died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Utterly helpless, spiritually dead. The children of God behave like God and God's nature is formed in believers. And this, this expresses itself in, a, in an uncommon love, a love that's not normal in, in, in a way that we don't see around us. 
And let me tell you right now, the world, people who don't know Jesus, expect the church to be different. There's an expectation that you and I would love in an uncommon way. Jesus, as he continues to speak, he expresses the logic of this uncommon love. Matthew 5, verse 46. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that. Jesus makes his appeal to us based on rewards. Are you the kind of person who likes extra credit when, if you're in, when you're in school? You would do that bonus question at the end of an exam? I see people smiling out there. I say, yeah, that guy, that person, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm that person, I like the bonus. Extra credit. We're motivated by rewards, right? He says, look, this is the, this is the um, economy of love. That if you just love people who are like you, that you love, our, if, if you love only those who love you, then there's no reward. If you want that extra bonus point, uh, there's a kind of love to love the people who don't love you. Like Rico talked about this morning, those people who make you curl up inside and when you're around them. Uh, and I hope when Rico was talking to you this morning, you didn't look at yourself and think, well, I hope I'm not that friend of Rico <laughs> this morning. Yeah. So, so he wasn't talking to about anyone in this room this morning or anyone online. Whew, I think we've covered them all. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But there's no reward in, in loving people who love you. You're just like everybody else if that's the way you love. So Jesus says, hey, the true reward comes if you love people who don't love you. And this is important. You understand this. We need to understand that loving in an uncommon way, there's a blessing to it. There's a reward that comes from it. Whenever we think about loving difficult people or being in a difficult situation where we are victimized, we tend to look inwardly at ourselves and we tend to think about how horrible this is to be victimized in that way. We, we think of the negative side. We think of how horrible it would be, the negative reward of, of being in that situation and being in that situation on an ongoing period of time. So if you're continually victimized or continually the subject of, of hurt, Jesus is saying, if you choose to love those people who don't love you, then there is a reward that comes from it. So shift your attention from the, what, the, only, the negative perspective you have now to the reward that comes if you love in this manner. And I think that's why Jesus says this, to help you understand that there's benefit in loving people who don't love you. It's not a complete loss. Because in our mind, we think, if I love those people, I'll lose even some more, right? We think, I've already lost a lot from this person. If I am vulnerable with this person and love them, I'm going to lose even more. Jesus says, no, there's a reward that comes if you love people who don't love you because Christ is the one who rewards you because Christ loves people in that way and then he satisfies. Jesus' appeal to us is, is that we would understand there is blessing and there's reward in him. He goes on to say, if you are kind only to your friends, verse 47, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. And here he appeals to being unique and different. 
He's appealing to us who want to be different than the rest of the world. Instead of blending in, we want to stand out. Do you want to be like everyone else? Or do you want to actually stand out? Uh, do you want to buy a Toyota like everyone? Smart. Or do you want to buy a Mitsubishi and stand out and go to the mechanic over and over again and be unique? <laughs> and be... Shots fired. Shots fired. <laughs> be different. Be different. The appeal here is for us to be different. Love in a way that sets you apart. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And bless is not, I'll bless you. No, no, no. <laughs> bless, truly. Give a blessing to those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. The teaching of Scripture is that the rewards come as we dwell in Him. And Him continuing to love through us. We don't dwell on the anger. We dwell in him. Ephesians 4 gives us instructions to speak the truth in love. You know, deal with situations that come your way, but do so in a way of love. There's no reward in the anger. There's reward in speaking the truth in love. Ephesians 4 says this, we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will do what? We'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way, more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He goes on to say, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good work. And then give generously to others. Give generously to others in need. Don't use foul language or abusive language. Let everyone, let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. The instruction is, is that in Christ, then we don't sit and dwell in the anger, or we don't use victimization as our currency. We don't stay a victim. We stay a victor in Christ. And our bodies begin to be used for his glory and for his sake. God loves through us and his presence walking with us. We feel his presence and we feel the sweetness of that relationship regardless of our circumstances. That, that is the gospel. And God, God transforms us. God is not asking us to, to have out-of-control anger, to respond to those of our enemies with out-of-control anger. He's not asking us to hate back. He's not asking us to abuse back. He's not asking us to develop an academic a, a racism, an academic racism that has been approved by the academic society where we hate back. We're not invited to that. God is inviting us to love differently. In God's economy, he asks us to be different. He asks us to chase after his rewards. The reward of loving those who do not love us. There's a great reward in that. He's asking us to be different, to be set apart as followers of Christ and to, to love even our enemies. And then if that wasn't enough affirmation or, or convincing, he says to us in verse 48, you are to be what? Perfect, even as your Father in heaven 
is perfect. To the degree that we love, that is to the degree we develop perfection. God is love, and therefore we need to get love right. And the invitation, the appeal to us is our need for excellence and perfection. If you really want to do things excellent, you want to be perfect in every way, love. The call is to perfection. I discovered recently that when I'm cooking chicken on the bribe, that I need to get the inside of my chicken to 160 degrees. Now, I don't have, uh, my finger is not good, my eyes are not good when I'm cooking chicken. I've never been able to, to assess 130, 140, no, no, no. So I bought a thermometer recently, and, I, uh, and now when I'm cooking chicken, I, I, plug that, I plug that thermometer in the chicken, and when it hits 160, I take it off the fire, and mm, it's good chicken. We need a thermometer in our lives when we're cooking chicken or meat, whatever it is you're cooking. Perfection, man, a perfect piece of meat off the bry, right? Yeah, that's what we're going for when we're cooking. When it comes to the way we love, who we are as believers, followers of Christ, perfection is in how we love. And we actually need a perfection, we need a love thermometer. We need to ask the Lord to show us, are we loving in the way that you've asked us to? And this is not easy for any one of us in the room, or if you're online this morning. This is a difficult conversation because the invitation of God is to, sacri to sacrifice yourself for, for his purposes and for his ways. And, and this is not normal. This is not common. This is not what we see around us. God is inviting us to something that is extraordinary, that's different, that can only be done through his power and, and through his movement through us. So yeah, the call to perfection is overwhelming. Yes, absolutely. But God is perfect. And the one who saves us perfects his love through us as he, if we allow him to, to use us for his sake and for his glory. The invitation is to love our enemies and to be perfect in the way we love. That's the invitation. John 13, verse 34, when he's talking to his disciples, he says, so now I give, I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The, the love really is, our love for a lost world is the proof, and our love for each other is the proof of, of his love being perfected in us. It's the proof that we are children of God. And we are to imitate him. Uh, Paul wrote this in Ephesians 5. Imitate, follow God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his children. Live a life filled with what? Uh, look at that verse 2. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice, as a pleasing aroma to God. Um. Dan and I have recently had the privilege of, of being introduced to uh, a lady who uh, died in 2016, uh, but she's, she wrote books, and uh, they're, they're, you can find her on YouTube. She has videos of her and her testimony of her life. Her name is uh, Helen Rosevere, Dr. Helen Rosevere, and she was a famous uh, English missionary to the Congo before it was 
Zaire and before it was the DRC. Uh, she studied in England and became a doctor. And uh, then uh, as she was studying, she experienced uh, a, a true relationship with Jesus Christ. She was uh, uh, brought up in an Anglican church and in that environment, uh, she discovered a relationship with Jesus Christ and uh, just a strong calling on her life to, to, to give her life as a sacrifice to God for uh, mission service. And she did so uh, in uh, the winter, sorry, uh, in the, the 40s. Uh, she went to uh, Central Africa, to uh, then Congo, and uh, started a, a, a clinic and served there uh, as a doctor. And then after serving in a particular area for a while, then she uh, went back to uh, England uh, for a furlough and then came back uh, in the late 50s, so 1950s, 1960. And you may know the, the history of Central Africa, the Congo. They gained independence in 1960. And then in 1964, the Congo went into civil war. And uh, you may have read this. It's, it's, uh, it's very well-known history. But in those years, there were pockets of the Congo where uh, if missionaries were serving in those areas, they were... They were abused and they were feared and they were, they were in, in, in many situations, they were, they were beat and uh, raped and killed. Uh, and so Dr. Dr. Helen Rosevere was, was serving at that time back from England, serving in a remote area of the Congo. And um, uh, cer certainly uh, it, was, it, was, it was inevitable, but at, at some point then uh, soldiers showed up at her particular area where she lived and uh, these soldiers began to, to beat and um, abuse uh, these, these foreigners. Um, and she, she explains this. She talks about how that uh, her life was, was at their mercy, but not really. This was truly at the mercy of God. This is what she writes. She says, they found me. They dragged me to my feet. They struck me over head and shoulders, flung me on the ground, kicked me, dragged me to my feet, only to strike me again. The sickening, searing pain of a broken tooth, a mouth full of sticky blood, my glasses gone, beyond sense, numb with horror and unknown fear, driven, dragged, pushed back to my house, yelled at, insulted, cursed. She writes that her captors were brutal and they were drunk. They cursed and swore. They struck and kicked. They used the butt end of rifles and rubber uh, truncheons. We were roughly taken, thrown in prisons, humiliated, threatened. On October 29th of 1964, uh, Helen was brutally raped. She later recounted, she said, on that dreadful night, beaten and bruised, terrified and tormented, unutterably alone, I had felt at last God had failed me. Surely he could have stepped in earlier. Surely things need not have gone that far. I had reached what seemed to be the ultimate depth of despairing nothingness. And in the darkness, however, she sensed the Lord saying to her, this is what she felt God was saying to her. You asked me when you were first converted for the privilege of being a missionary. 
This is it. Don't you want it? These are not your sufferings. They're mine. All I ask of you is the loan of your body. Can we even imagine? She goes on to, to say this, that in this brutal, heartbreaking experience of rape, this is what she says. God met with me with outstretched arms of love. It was an unbelievable experience. He was so utterly there, so totally understanding. His comfort was so complete. And suddenly I knew, I really knew that his love was unutterably sufficient. He did love me. He did understand. She eventually received this overwhelming sense of privilege that Almighty God would stoop to ask of me, of her, a mere nobody in a forest clearing in the jungles of Africa, something he needed. She was overwhelmed by the sense of privilege that God would find her in this dark place and would, would want to express his love through her body. This is not normal for any one of us, right? But it was normal for Paul. Paul who said that I want to experience the fellowship of his sufferings. Do we really understand that? The way of love, the way of Christ loving through us is that God would, would use us as a conduit of his love. And can he trust us? Can he trust us with us allowing that to be? Can he trust us by saying, okay, here is my body. Use my body for your glory. That, that's the expectation. This is a very often quoted uh, comment from Helen. This is what she says. God never uses a person greatly until he has wounded him deeply. The privilege he offers you is greater than the price you have to pay. The privilege is greater than the price. The reward of God loving through us and using us and our bodies as a sacrifice for him is far greater than any price we will ever pay in this life. And I believe that's the invitation to perfect love. That's the invitation for all of us. And again, you might be thinking, how can I do that? You can't. Only Christ through you, this is possible. And only Christ in you in that circumstance, you will experience his presence, his compassion in that moment. But he will be there. And you'll be amazed at his presence. God is asking of his followers the loan of our bodies that he might make an appeal through us to the lost world, to make an appeal through us to bad people like us. He wants to show his love towards. Love our enemies is the invitation because of the perfect love of Christ. Let's pray together.
Lord, we thank you for uh, this calling. And Lord, we, we do want to understand, as Paul declared so boldly, uh, the, just the, what it is to share in the fellowship of your sufferings, Father. Lord, to understand that when everything else is gone, Father, that you're all that matters. And Lord, as you love through us, and Lord, as we, as you ask us to offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice so that you can love through us, Father. And that, that we can root deeply in your love. Lord, we thank you for this invitation. And Lord Jesus, we ask that you would help us not to adopt the love logic of the world that says love your community but hate your enemies. Lord, please transform us, Father. May we be different. And we say yes to you, Father. In your name I pray. Amen. This is Rico Veca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today. And it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.